You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. He was acquainted with the splendor of heaven Surrounded by the angels who worshipped him Yet he longed to have someone he could give his love to So in his own image he created man One day man failed him in the garden Fellowship was broken because of sin But from the beginning the Father knew what he would do He'd send his own Son to bring us back to him He became acquainted with grief So I could be acquainted with grace He suffered like no other did The Lamb of God, he knew no sin He was acquainted with grief So I could be acquainted with grace He came unto his own but was rejected The Son of God had nowhere to lay his head. Brought before the mob to be condemned or set free. Yet they chose a criminal instead. He walked the lonely road to Golgotha. What shame. Reproach my Savior bore. Oh, he could have walked away, but in love he took the cross. For I was the one that he was dying for. He became acquainted with grief. So I could be acquainted with grace. He suffered like no other did. The Lamb of God, he knew no sin. He was acquainted with grief. So I could be acquainted with with grief.
Thank you so much, ladies. Wasn't that a blessing? I do welcome all of you today. I welcome also, we got uh, people, of course, watching on uh, YouTube and social media, and we got Fran from Las Vegas. Robin's sister is uh, tuning in today, so we sure say hello to her in uh, Las Vegas. All right. Um, have you ever uh, wanted to do something or maybe felt like the Lord had something that He wanted you to do, but there was somebody standing in your way, someone standing in the way of you doing what you felt like you either wanted to do or felt like God wanted you to do, whether it's a boss or maybe a spouse, a parent. Uh, I'm sure many of the teens can identify with that. Uh, a friend, a partner, colleague, whatever the case may be, a professor. There's something you feel like, man, surely this is what God wants me to do, but there's someone standing in your way. Well, I want to show you from the, heart of, uh, from the Word of God that today that you have a God who, as you see with the title today, you have a God today who is a heart changer and He's a way maker. Our God is a heart-changing, way-making God. He's able to turn a person's heart and make a way for you to accomplish your purpose and your calling. Now, this practical lesson for today can be found in an ancient royal Persian court in 444 B.C. in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 And I want to read the first eight verses. And I want to show you from these verses today how that we can see how that your God is a heart-changing, way-making God. So let's read these first eight verses of chapter 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month uh, Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. And just to kind of give you this, the, the big picture and remind you of what's going on here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cup bearer before the king. That was his occupation. Um, it was actually a pretty cushy, uh, kind of bougie type job, really. Did I say that weird? Um, but, uh, but, but, the <laughs> oh, boy, I love being live. But I'm always live, so I might as well get used to it. But he had a pretty good job. Outside of the fact of he's had some job hazards. In other words, part of his job was to drink, take a drink of the king's drink before it went to the king and take a bite of the king's food before it went to the king. So he was eating and drinking pretty good. The only problem was part of the reason for that was to make sure he didn't kill over <laughs> after he'd eaten it. But really still, this job was a, a fairly pre- prestigious job. Uh, Another job hazard that we're going to see here in a moment that this man had to always be on his best behavior. He had to always be uh, positive. He had to always be uh, uh, fairly cheerful. He had to be a pleasant guy to be around. He had to be a good-looking guy in order to be able to stand there. He looked good. He dressed well. He stood there. And but. What you'll find out is if you came to work, you ever have a bad day? You ever go to work into work grumpy? Well, if you were like Nehemiah and you went to your job grumpy or sad or not just everything's all good, you may be imprisoned or you may be put to death. So that's the kind of job he had, but it had some great benefits to it as well. Um, And so 
What we see here is that that's what he was. He was a cupbearer before the king. Now notice verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And knowing what I just told you explains why he says here, This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Tyler. I was very sore afraid. In verse 3, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what doest thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when, uh, when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I, I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter came unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, looking at the life of Nehemiah, we've been learning some lessons about completing your calling. If you are sitting here today and if you can hear me today, i got some very good news for you, and that is this. You have a calling. You have a purpose. You are no accident. God Almighty has a plan for you. You were created, especially you, and you were created for a purpose. And I will say, I know part of that purpose I can say for every man is this, that you might... Know the Lord God as your Lord and your Savior. That Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that separates us from God, now in time and will also separate us for eternity. But Jesus paid the penalty, died on the cross, rose again the third day, so that if you would accept His forgiveness, turn from your sin, that you can be saved. But every one of you have a purpose. Every one of you have a calling. And by the way, this study in the book of Nehemiah is to help you find that. And our mission, really a great part of our mission here at Elk Point Baptist Church is to help people find two things. Number one, life. That speaks of salvation and that more abundantly. We want to see people have life and have it more abundantly. First of all, before I get to how this, what this matters to you, I want to look at the big picture Then I want to narrow it down to the big idea. In other words, I want to show you a little bit about what's going on in this ancient royal court, but then I want to answer the question that you may have, so what? What does all that reading that you lost me on, for maybe some people may say, have to do with me today? Well, it has very much to do with you today, because there's some principles in here I want to show you. But first, let me take a, a look at the big picture, and then we'll get down to the big idea. First of all, quickly, the big picture. We see God's faithfulness. We've got to ask some questions here. We're in the book of Nehemiah. Why is Nehemiah a Jew working for a king? 
Why is he needing to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Well, what you'll find out is that because of Israel's sin, they had to go into Babylonian captivity. They were judged by God, sent into Babylonian captivity. Some time passes by. The Babylonians are defeated by the Persians, and so now the Jews are under the Persian authority. However, God promised uh, hundreds of years before this ever happened that King Cyrus would arise and would allow the people to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And we read about that in the book of Ezra, as well as Haggai and Zechariah. You read about kind of what's going on there. Well, fast forward a couple decades, now you have the book of Nehemiah. Now, when I say, when you hear about the judgment of God, I don't know what you think today, but I think some people hear the judgment of God and almost cringe. But that's because they don't have the proper perspective of the judgment of God. The faithfulness of God shows us that Nehemiah is in the place where he's at because the nation, God's people, had been judged for their sins. But they miss the point a lot of times. Because God, just like a good parent, in wrath, He always remembers mercy. He's just trying to get people in the right place with Him. He's trying to get people in the place of blessing. So in other words, yes, He judged Israel. Why? So that, so that they would get their hearts and lives right with Him. So that they could be in a place to fulfill their purpose, to fulfill their calling, to experience true blessing. Uh, like a good parent, and I emphasize good parent because not all of us parents are good, but like a good parent, any, any no's and thou shalt nots, if you will, of a good parent, any corrections of a good parent are all just trying to help their uh, child go on the right path, the path of blessing. And it's no different with God Almighty. And so that's what we see here uh, with God's faithfulness here concerning the nation of Israel. And I'll just put this out there right quick. I've known a lot of people that feel like they're being judged by God. You ever felt like that? I've sinned, I've turned my back on God, and now I'm being judged by God. But the problem is, I know a lot of people that say that and just leave it there. Then they just wallow in it. Yep, just being judged by God for now on the rest of my life. Well, friend, you have a, a, a poor uh, conception of what this is really all about. Because if indeed you are being judged by God Almighty or corrected by God Almighty, it's not a time to wallow in self-pity. It's a time to repent. He's trying to give you an opportunity. See, uh, failure isn't final. And, and, and the correction and the chastening of the Lord is not the ends. It's a means to an end. It's a means to an end of getting you again back in where you're right with God. In, in a place where God can bless your life, where you can have the abundant life. See, there's way too many people that are chasing. Listen, they're being rebellious. They're chasing sin. They're embracing sin. They're defending sin all the time when sin is what's bringing destruction into their lives. Sin is bringing shame into their lives. And if you're not careful, we can begin to count those as enemies that would tell us that our sin is going to destroy us. When in all reality, what better friend is there than someone who loves you enough to confront you with the truth as God does and as God's true people do? And so Nehemiah is here and he's in a place where the people of God have been judged, but God is wanting to bless them. God sought for a man and a people to employ in this great work 
This great time, this great opportunity to restore some ruins. Now, I'm trying to bring this to us now. We're getting into, into practical day, all right? Because I'm telling you, God's still looking for a man. He's still looking for a woman. He's still looking for a young person. He's still looking for some people to help restore some ruins. Now, in this case, the walls around the city of Jerusalem, the temple had been rebuilt, but the walls were still tore down. The gates were still burnt with fire. God is still looking for people to help rebuild some ruined lives. Your body is meant to be the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. Your life is meant to be a place of God's blessing. But there's a lot of ruined and broken down lives around us, are there not? Matter of fact, you're looking at one that before God's grace, I was a ruined and broken down life. But I'm glad that somebody... (laughs) Number one, I'm glad that there's a God that cared. Number two, I'm glad that there's some people that cared. I'm glad that there was a church, Harvest Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina, who cared. And they brought the truth to me. And they were willing to be a vessel and an instrument in rebuilding my life for the glory of God. That I might be saved and my body be a temple of the Holy Ghost of God Almighty. God is still looking for a people today. Now, there's some interesting things that we find out about Nehemiah here. There's a lot that we learn about leadership. Um, We learn that Nehemiah was indeed a visionary. But I think it's interesting that oftentimes in a church, in a ministry, you you, you need to have a healthy balance of visionary and the, the strategic planners. Visionary and planners. And here's what I mean by that. In a church, you need somebody that says, man, we're going to do great things. God's going to accomplish this. Here's what we're going to do. Let's get after it. You need that person. But then it's good when you have another balance that says, okay, preacher, how are we going to pay for that? Uh, Right? It's a good balance. Um, But Nehemiah actually had that balance in and of himself. Because he had this great vision, but as we last time we preached out of Nehemiah, we saw that he waited uh, like several months, I believe it was four months, he waited before, from the time he surrendered to God. So he had a vision, but he also took time to make a plan. Now, I told you this already, but there in verse number two it says he was sore afraid. Now, we, we, I told you why he's afraid, literally he was so burdened down. He didn't, I don't know that he meant to come into work looking sad that day, but he looked sad. His heart was so broken that he looked sad. His life is now in danger. His, his job is in jeopardy at the very least. His freedom and perhaps his very life. He was afraid. But I want to say this. Whenever you look at what it is that God may be placing and calling you to do in your life, does that familiar foe of fear ever visit your house? You know, sometimes it displays itself in doubt. Man, I I feel like this is what I ought to do. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. But I'm I'm doubting. I'm I'm not sure if I'm the guy. I'm not sure if I'm the girl. I'm not sure if I'm the person that's going to be to carry this around. He was sore afraid. And fear begins to come into our lives. So, But we see God's faithfulness. But I want to see here also God's, or not God's faithfulness, but also our fruitfulness. Now, God is about to change the heart of the king. But it's vitally important to see that first of all, what he did in Nehemiah's heart. 
He's making a way. Our God is a God that makes a way. Our God is a God that changes hearts. Our God is a God that does great things. But first of all, it has to be through us. In verses 2 and 3, we find out that his countenance was sad. And in verse 3, he said, And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? And by the way, that let the king live forever is kind of like a hail the king. It's a sign of respect. It's a, a you know, a long live the king. And then he goes on. He's, he's approaching him with wisdom here. But then he goes on to say, Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's uh, sepulchers, lieth waste? and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. This is Nehemiah's, uh, is there not a cause speech. That's where he's at. And I love what the Bible says in verse number 4. Then the king said unto me, For what doest thou make requests? Notice what it says. What does it say? So I prayed to the God of heaven. These things are important because there was something that was going on in Nehemiah's heart. And he had some wisdom. And I love this because it says, when the king asked, well, what do you want? Nehemiah, before he ever answered, he said, I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven. One of the things that we're going to learn about the book of Nehemiah is it's a book about prayer. It's a book about prayer. It's a book about dependence on Almighty God. So it says he prayed. Now, does that mean uh, Nehemiah said, excuse me, king. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king." I promise you he didn't do that. And for no other reason, he hadn't ever heard that prayer yet. But, but I'm certain that, that that's not what he did. Matter of fact, I'm certain he didn't say, Hold on a second, King. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, I need your help. No, I'm telling you what he did. He's, it's, it, the king asked him that question, boys. And right there on his feet, he's like, Lord, you're going to have to help me here. So I, I don't believe Nehemiah knelt. I don't believe he bowed his head. I don't believe he closed his eyes. But he prayed. And uh, how many of you know that you don't have to be down on your knees to pray? Yeah, right. Or bow on your knees? Because if you think you do, son, you're in trouble. Yeah. Especially if you pray driving like I do. Uh, but we pray when we're driving and we pray when we're at work. and we pray. You need to learn to pray all the time. You don't know how much I'm praying when I'm up here right now. I'll tell you that. Uh, y'all can be kind of scary sometimes. But, uh, but, but he prayed. All right? But here's the thing. Prayer illustrates a realization in our weakness. It, it, it illustrates our trust in God making up the difference. This is one of the great things about God. If Nehemiah had any doubts, any fear whatsoever, our prayer is a way of saying, Okay, Lord, this is greater than me. I depend on You. I'm trusting in You. And I'll refer back to this, the heart of prayer in just a moment. But... It shows that God is the one. And and I'm so encouraged. Prayer is a way of saying, Okay, Lord, I'm weak. And I need a lot if I'm going to accomplish what you're wanting me to do. But I'm counting on you to make up the difference. I'm counting on you that in in my weakness, your strength will be, be made perfect. Now, I know that the very first lines I said when I started today was showing you how God is able to turn a person's heart to make a way for you to accomplish your purpose or calling. Now I can see people that getting people's attention. Wait, you're going to show me how God, people standing in my way, parents standing in my way, a boss, a spouse, a, a, a colleague standing in my way, you're going to show me how God can change their heart and make a way for me. 
I'm, I'm down for that. And I am going to show that to you. But how about this? Have you ever thought about this? That maybe the first person that God needs to change their heart and make a way for is you. Have you ever thought that maybe you are the one standing in the way of fulfilling all that God wants you to do? And I was kind of wanting a dun-dun-dun plot twist there, you know. Uh, it's you, you know. Um, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. But when I thought about that this morning, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that Tyler, that years ago in Epic, I think one, uh, not in Epic, before we was doing Epic, we were doing uh, Bible, uh, junior, or Bible Club, I can't remember what we called it. But I'm pretty sure there was in the middle of a lesson that Tyler did that to me one time. It just cracked me up, you know. I was like, da-da-da-da-da, dun-dun-dun. But uh, that's kind of what this is. It's a, uh, God, our fruitfulness. In other words, maybe the, the change needs to be made in us first because what you're going to find out is ne- God had been doing a work in Nehemiah's heart because, yes, there may be something that God wants you to do. There may be a calling on your life, and there may be someone in your life that is like, that you're thinking, they're, no, they will never be for this. They will stop me. They, they will not be for this at all. They're strong-willed. I know their attitude. I know how they are. And, and, and indeed, God needs to change their heart. And He will. And He will make a way for you. But first of all, you need to make sure, is this way you're going on, is that God's way? Are you fulfilling your calling or are you fulfilling God's calling? The Bible says this in Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. See, our delight should not first of all be in God's blessings. How many of you like to be blessed of the Lord? I do. But if we're not careful, our delight is in the Lord's blessings. Health and wealth and prosperity and and joy, and laughter, and all these things. But that should not be where we first find our delight. Our delight should not first be found in our circumstances. Our delight, this verse tells us, verse number 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him. See, we should take pleasure in our God, in our Savior. And when we do that, when our desire is for Him, He provides that our desires are then met. Our desires are met when our desires are in Him. The closer we get to Him, the more we desire, uh, our desires begin to change from our own selfish wants to wanting what He wants for us. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. So after, after the psalmist telling us this, he says then in verse number 5, Commit your ways unto the Lord. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. And He shall bring it to pass. See, that commitment and trust does not come without reward. So he said, Commit your ways to the Lord. And He will bring it to pass. Now again, I hope it's clear today. I'm not up here saying, I'm not up here preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not preaching the, the, the things that some people take out of context 
and say that, you know, we have all these selfish desires and our God's like a, 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 a genie in a bottle that we rub it just right and, and He'll come out and grant our wishes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about putting God first. Why? Because God wants what's best for you. Do you know that's a shock to some people? God 100% wants the best, A plus, for your life. Now, I know that sounds like an obvious thing, but I'm telling you, we don't always act that way, do we? I don't know why God's not letting me do this, and I don't know why, you know, it's just, we don't understand that God wants the best. But here's the thing, He wants to bless us, He wants to bring it to pass, He wants to do it in our lives. And when we commit our way to the Lord and trust Him, God is faithful Verse 6 of Psalm 37 says that He's faithful to bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. See, this work had been done in Nehemiah's heart because what Nehemiah wanted to do was what God wanted him to do. The desire that he had was to go do a work for God. The desire he had was to make a difference for God for some other people. Why did he have that desire? Because his desire was first to the Lord. And then God put this desire in his heart. Now God's going to bring the de- give him the desires of his heart. So we see it illustrated here with the book of Nehemiah. When our way is committed to him. Is your way committed to the Lord? I think about where the Bible says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Have you committed anything to God? Some of you may be here, you may not know Christ as your Savior. I encourage you today, commit your soul to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. But some of you do know the Lord. You're Christians. Hey, commit, make some commitments to God. When our way, when our lives are committed to Him, He will shape us, grow us in His righteousness. Paul explained that as a person that's walking in the Spirit will have the fruit of the Spirit, fruitfulness in their lives. God will accomplish His work in our lives. God will transform us by the renewing of our minds. You can be transformed. You can be changed into the image of that which you were created to be by the grace of Almighty God. There's another example given. I'm thinking about Nehemiah. Think about Nehemiah. He's standing there and he's obviously lost a little bit of control in a sense of his emotions, of his stature. He has stood there day after day, year after year, and he's known how to maintain his composure. But now his heart has been stirred in such a way that he's no longer able to put on the face that he's been wearing for years. He's broken inside. God's doing a work in his life. In Ephesians 5.18, we are told, Be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. See, when a person drinks excessively, that person is submitting to a process that will end in his having little or no control over his body. So instead of submitting our bodies to wine in that way, we should be submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, immersing ourselves in His Word so that we're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Our desires are shaped then by Him. And when we're doing that, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are walking in His Spirit. 
He is faithful to bear His fruit in us when we commit our way to the Lord. So this is what makes us fruitful. This is what happened. Listen, yes, God, our God is a heart-changing, way-making God. But I'm so glad that one day God began to make a heart change in me and begin to make a way in my life for Him to be able to bless me. That's what happened with Nehemiah. But now, what about to the next point? So we see God's faithfulness, we see our fruitfulness, then lastly, we see God's furtherance. Verse 4, the king could have said a lot of things here. Verse 4, then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? That's pretty cool. Because he could have just said, number one, he could have said, Dude, get out of here, you're done. Or he could have just said, well, man, that's too bad, Nehemiah. Sorry to hear that, buddy. Sorry you're going through a tough time. But he didn't do that. He said, uh, so what do you want? Uh, and, and obviously, the, by the way Nehemiah answers, it was almost as if he were saying, well, what can I do for you? What can I do to help? Now, this is an amazing thing. Because what happened was God was working in the heart of this heathen king. This king didn't know God from what we know. But God was working in his heart. God was making a way. This, this, this king was the one that would have been standing in the way of Nehemiah being able to accomplish his calling. He was the person that would say, No, dude, you've got a job. I'm, you, I'm not going to let you go and go do something else, much less build a wall around a city. Hello, I'm a king. Your land is supposed to be subjugated to me. The purpose for a wall is defense. Are y'all planning on mounting a rebellion or what? What's going on here? Oh, there's a lot of things that could have been going on. This is the man standing in the way, as it seemed. But what I'm telling you is you may have someone seemingly standing in your way today, but I want you to know something. God can change their heart. And God can make a way for you. You say, oh preacher, you don't know the person that's standing in my way. You don't know them. They'll never change. They'll never be for this decision. They'll never approve me. They'll never recommend me. They'll never elevate me. They'll never sign that paper or write me that letter. Or That'll never happen. You don't know this person. But there's something that remember. Nehemiah remembered to put something into the equation that you're forgetting to put into the equation. And it's really not something, it's someone. Because what did he do? He prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't look and just say, oh man, I'm, I, I shouldn't even mention nothing to this guy. He said, okay, this king is never going to grant this on his own, but I'm going to pray to the God of heaven. Because you know what? God, listen, I don't, I don't know. You say, you don't know how strong this person is standing in my way. And what I say is, you don't know how strong your God is. Because he's stronger. He's greater. He's mightier. What do you want? How can I help? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 21, this is a great principle that I'll try to give you to close. Our heart-changing, way-making God. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So now the king's heart. Now the reason you say, well, this person I'm dealing with isn't the king. Exactly. What he did is he went to the highest person in their society, the person with the most power, the the most least likely person 
to do what you wanted them to do. And God's just saying, that guy's heart is in my hands. Much less your spouse. Much, or, or how much more your professor. How much more your family member. How much more your boss. How much more your colleague. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So through prayer, Nehemiah recognizes. Nehemiah, and here's what you do when you pray. You recognize, you remember, and you rely on the Lord. If that's not what you're doing when you pray, then you're doing it wrong. And you very well may be doing it wrong. See, Nehemiah could have had a prayer something like this. Oh God, the king's so stubborn. This is never going to work. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus, amen. That's how we pray sometimes. Lord, this is so bad, this is wrong, this is bad, and we're done. But that's not remembering how mighty our God is. That's not relying on God to make a difference. That is not recognizing that God is greater. See, we know God wants to do a certain work. We also know that someone is standing in the way that has a strong will, that has powerfully, consistently flowed for a long time. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and He directs us as the, the rivers of water. And we think, just, just say today, for some reason you decided that you'd like the Missouri River to flow a little closer to your place. If you lived around here for long, you're thinking, I would not like that very much. Let's, let's, let's change them. You'd like the Missouri River to flow a little bit further from your place. So what? <laughs> right? You may want that, but nothing's changed the Missouri River. But God's saying, well, I can. I can reroute it. I can redirect it. And, and there's another cool little picture here. Because here's the thing. What, what happens is when we don't pray, we forget God. But prayer remembers God. Let me ask you this. Can I ask you this question today? You're telling me how big this person is standing in your way. You're telling me how big your problem is. I'm asking you this question. How big is your God? How big is your God today? Because I'm telling you, He's bigger. You just need to recognize it. So imagine the Missouri River being moved and routed in a certain way. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Nehemiah didn't make a, re- Nehemiah didn't make a request. Uh, or the king could have said no. He could have said all kinds of things. Think about a river. A river is unstable. A river is fluid, fluctuating. And yet the Lord can stay and settle and fix them and keep them steady within bounds. God can change the heart of people that we imagine are standing in the way if we just have enough faith to grab onto this principle. Now this is interesting. When you really get down to studying Proverbs, and and I'm talking about somebody standing in the way. Maybe you think of somebody today that's standing in their own way. You, You know somebody like that? You care about somebody like that? They're standing in their own way? Like we were talking about earlier. Hey, how about praying and believing God for that person? How about claiming a miracle in that person's life? But there's an interesting allusion here. In other words, uh, what he's alluding to in Proverbs 21.1. It's to gardeners. Gardeners that would live near a river that would make channels for the water to run in. To water their gardens, to grow their crops. Uh, To husbandmen that would cut uh, aqueducts from the rivers to water their fields. Or to the turning of the course of the rivers, as the Euphrates was by Cyrus when he took Babylon. 
The heart of the king is as much at the disposal of the Lord and, and can be turned by him just as easily as canals can be made. Or the course of a total river can be turned. Why? Because God's able. He turneth it. As the cultivator directs the stream into the channels, where is uh, most wanted, so Jehovah directs the thoughts of the king that the, his favors may be full, not at random, but in harmony with the divine order. Now, I just got to say that's an interesting picture because there is an agricultural idea to Proverbs 21.1 because we don't know or we don't have an account of this king converting at this point. His will is flowing this way like a river. We don't have an account of him converting and just saying, you know what, I want to come join that temple as well. But what happened was there was channels dug and God diverted from his will to where all of a sudden he's favorable. So it's not that he, in this case, he didn't change the whole flow of the river, but what he did do is he opened up on the side a place where now all of a sudden the river's will is flowing over this way as well. And it's bringing fruitfulness to the work of God because God's able to do that. We think of a river as powerful, unstable, unpredictable. But I'm telling you this, listen. God can make a powerful, unstable, unpredictable river to calmly flow into your favor. Out of all the things the king could have said, out of all the things he could have said, what can I do to help? This is the person standing in the way. But God turns the heart. And we're, you know, we're, we're talking about God just making a way, tenderizing this man's heart to the point to where he was willing to assist. And rather than standing in the way, he, began, he became a help to the work of God. See, you think about conversion. Listen, God can work. He can turn the hearts of men. God is still working. He can turn men's hearts from light unto darkness. And I believe as we all stand today, and as Miss Barb comes, I believe today that God will turn your heart. He will change your life. He will make a way. Now here's the thing about God. If you're here today and you're not saved by God's grace, let me tell you something. He will not just force you all of a sudden to be saved. But what He will do is He will turn. He will make channels into your heart to where light comes in. To where you can see your need for Him. You can see your need for Him. And you can begin to play whenever you're ready, Barb. As a child of God, same thing for you. He's not going to force you to commit your ways to Him. Listen, if He was going to force you to commit your ways to Him, He wouldn't tell you to commit your ways to Him. He would just make you commit your ways to Him. If He was going to force you to become a Christian, He would just force you to become a Christian. But that's not what He does. He channels your heart. Your will's been flowing strong this way, but He lets some light seep in. And maybe you've had a poor view of religion. Maybe you've had a poor view of God. And rightly so, because there's a lot of people not representing very well. But don't let that rob you of the person of who loves you so much and made you just like He made you and wants to transform your life if you don't know Christ. Well, goodness, if you are saved, He wants to transform your life. How about it today, church? Our God is a heart-changing, way-making God. 
Will you let God make a way in your life today? Will you allow God to transform your life? If you're here today and you're not saved, you say, what do you, you keep going back to that. What is that? It's just simply this. I mentioned it earlier. But the Bible says that every one of us who have ever been born, have, we're all born into sin. Every one of us. The Bible says, for one thing, that sin separates us from a holy God. Puts us at enmity with God. That sin separates not only in time but for all eternity. But here's the thing. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a penalty for sin. The only price that will be accepted for sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus paid the price. Further, the good news is if you would accept and receive, He purchased a gift for you. He offers that gift to you. And if you receive that gift, you have eternal life. You have a relationship with Christ. You have forgiveness of your sins. Have you accepted that gift today? If not, I want to offer and invite you to do so right now. From your heart, you could pray this prayer along with me right now, right where you stand. Just as Nehemiah stood and prayed, you can stand and pray this from your heart. Dear God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. God, I want you to please forgive me of my sins. I turn my life to you. I want you to come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Now, a prayer like that from the heart it's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, not words. Child of God, are you willing to commit your ways to Him? Hey, if somebody's standing in your way, if there's a parent standing in your way, teens, hey, trust God to turn their hearts. He will. If they're wrong, if there's somebody standing in your way, He'll turn them. But first you've got to ask yourself, have you committed your ways to the Lord? Are you sure your heart's where it needs to be with Christ? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in church today. Help us to make sure. Help us to be certain today, Lord. Number one, that we know you as Savior. I'm so glad that when I was 16 years old, I heard the gospel message. I really didn't understand it all. But Holy Spirit of God, I know you convicted my heart that day. You showed me my need for you. And God, I'm glad that you helped me to call on you from my heart and cry out for salvation. And I'm glad you saved me, God, that day. I'm also glad that though I'm nowhere near being all that I ought to be, God, I know that I'm not what I used to be because I've committed my ways to you, Lord. Now, I, we have to do that more than once. But the fact that there's been some times throughout my years that I've committed my way to you, committed my way to you, Lord, you've given me the desires of my heart. You've brought forth my righteousness like noonday, God. You've been faithful. But God, you know my heart as I stand up here today because, God, there's some ways as I stand here that perhaps aren't committed to you. Lord, and I just want to make a fresh commitment to you today, God. I want my desires to be your desires. We love you, dear Lord. I pray you'll help us, God, as we depart. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. God.